Hi, welcome to yet another episode of the Leadership Enigma. Listen, you know that we're available on all your major podcast platforms, but all importantly, we're now available on YouTube, which is why all episodes are coming from LaunchPod Studios and more and more of our archive footage is being put on YouTube all the time. So please do check it out, subscribe, listen, give us feedback, tell us what we should be doing, who should we be talking to, what are the hot topics of the year. We'd love all of that information and really have a rich conversation with as many of you as possible to drive the direction of the Leadership Enigma for this year and beyond. So this week, what are we talking about? Well, we're really talking about The Daily Reset. I've got the author of that book, Dr. Stephen McGregor, with me. So come back to me after this break because we're going to talk about that knotty issue of how do you drive personal change, really drive personal change during constant change. So I'll see you in a moment. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma powered by Transform Performance International, a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. So it's a warm welcome to Stephen McGregor. Stephen, thanks very much for taking the time to come into the Leadership Enigma. How are you? I'm great, Adam. It's lovely to be here. It is really? quite nice to be in the studio, yes, isn't it? Yes. I think sometimes I might take it for granted, but uh, you saw it for the first time just uh, almost like 10 or 15 minutes ago. Yeah, I'm used to doing all these kind of Zoom interviews and even, um, you know, yesterday, but I'm in town in London for... Uh, a keynote and even just being in front of a live audience again is wonderful is and, and being nice, in a it? studio like this is fantastic well, well that human proximity piece which we'll, yeah. we'll come on to certainly now um, I know uh, you described yourself as a recovering academic which I love I'm a recovering lawyer so we're both recovering <laughs> from, from something but I, I didn't give you much of an intro so just help the listeners and the viewers understand a little bit about your background sure so uh, I'm an engineer Right. Um, and the focus was a in recovering engineer yes, as well. Yes, there we go. There. Yeah, and uh, but the focus was in design. Uh, so a PhD in design thinking. Yeah. And for me, design is about understanding basic human needs. And so for me, that got me into this whole field of well-being because I started to realise that within the world of work, um, people weren't well, and that was affecting their health, and it was also affecting their performance. So that was the question. Uh, that really came to me 20 years ago. I was a visiting researcher at Stanford and uh, my own well-being was optimised at that time. Yeah. A lot of my colleagues had finished uh, the first degree and they were in the world of work and they were pretty miserable. You know, I was a poor right. student. They were earning money, which was <laughs> another thing altogether. Um, but I thought, what's a better way of combining kind of optimal human experience and, and working well at the same time? Now, that's fascinating because you don't know this, but we have a link in that I've spent time with the D School in Stanford. Great. Um, and actually been on campus there at Stanford, which is, which is an incredible place. Yeah. And I'm always impressed and, and wish I could always pull up some photos now where, um, and Justin Ferrell, who is at the D School, has been on this show but many, many moons ago. So if he's listening, it's probably about time he came back on. Uh, and what I was really, really impressed with was 
the curiosity of design thinking about human behavior, yeah. the empathy, humble inquiry, to really almost from the ethnographer's perspective, put yourself into somebody else's shoes. And I, want, I just share a quick story, that, and this has always fascinated me. I remember going to the D school, and there were these little photos. You know those photos you get almost like from a Kodak Instamatic? Yeah. I'm not mm -hmm. showing my age, aren't I? And as I went in there, there was a wall of these photos. Uh, and... There's pictures of different students, and all it's got is their first name, so maybe Adam, and this, the degree that they're doing, whatever it is that they're studying. So Adam Law, or it might be Stephen Engineering. And it's an eclectic mix. It really does look like, in some ways, the United Nations, and they're, and they're studying all kinds of weird and wonderful things. And I remember saying to the D school, I said, what is that? And they said, these are our cohorts, and they are incredibly disparate group of people from all over the world they're all studying here they're doing very very disparate things and he said we call it radical collaboration mm. because we've got incredible diversity of thought which adds to that heartbeat of design thinking mm. and that really resonates with me um you know kind of what what was what was the the anchor for you for design thinking because i, I think it's fascinating yeah you know i think a lot of the kind of a lot of the basics that I learned in what is design, and you touched on it there, is the power of multidisciplinary teams. Yes. And so what we learned through the study of design was that you're bringing together different expertise. Yeah. But you as a designer are trying to synthesize that into trying to solve wicked problems. That, uh, you know, I love design, that phrase. Design, design thinking, that in, you know, back in the day when it really, you know, IDO really mainstreamed a lot of that. It was about how can we solve wicked problems, not just selling more stuff necessarily yeah but even a lot of human-centered design in developing countries um a lot of environmental issues and there's a bit of a backlash also in the last couple of years into was it promise unfulfilled and all these different things but i just think the power of the mix yes that you touch on the power of diversity bringing together different functional expertise but just bring together different skill sets and different backgrounds yeah rather than just having kind of group think is immensely powerful uh, and then for me, extending that into the workplace in terms of pain points. So I think another very valuable term from design thinking in terms of what are the pain points that we have in our own day. Yes. Um, then it's realizing that everyone is unique, right? All of these names. And embracing On it. that wall, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not just about imposing the way that we think we should work uh, as an employer or within a culture within the workplace, but recognizing we all have different needs and there's different ways that we will thrive within the workplace. So I think yeah. design really gave me that foundation. It's been very powerful. And I think we've we've walked into, a, I think, a really meaty leadership topic already in that leaders have got to have the courage to embrace the diversity of thought to yeah. battle against the echo chamber. And one of my guests, and this was John Amici in one of the first episodes, he, he said something to me which has always stuck in my mind. He said, one of the biggest challenges is that interpersonal comfort trumps organisational change. And that's not suggesting that a homogenous group of people can't drive change, they can. But for transformational change, if you can really tap into that diversity that you spoke about, that really lights the blue touch paper, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. There's another term that I really love within the world of kind of agile um, ways of working, which I think there's a really powerful overlap there yeah. with design thinking as well. And it's participation over power. And I think a lot of teams, uh, a lot of organizations, they're driven by power, they're driven by that tenure, let's say, yeah. right, or the seniority. But I think for any organization to move forward, and as you say, 
you know, being brave in leadership is for leaders to actually welcome ideas, yes. dissent even from different factions. Perish the thought, but yeah. you know, you're you know? right, dissent. And, 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 and even, you know, when I talk to leaders and I say, look, and they nod their heads when they're saying, you got psychological safety in the team, do you think that you're very welcoming, and different mm. perspectives, and everyone's, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Now I just ask a simple question, you know, how do you react if someone disagrees with you? And especially if that someone is very junior, right? Yeah. And in many ways, our ego gets bruised quite easily, right? Especially for a leader. So if someone disagrees with you, then, you know, how do you react? Um, and I think that's an interesting question for many leaders. Do you know what? As we're talking, I actually think that my experience of design thinking and that time at Stanford has had a, an impact on me. We had a session only last week, and it was simple. Best idea wins. Yeah. Wherever it comes from, the yeah. most junior, yeah. the newest, uh, the most diverse voice. Uh, and I think people really, they embrace that, don't they? Best idea wins. Not the most senior, not the most extrovert, not the most shouty, whatever it might be. Best idea wins. Yeah, humility, intellectual humility, right? And exactly it, and, that. And it moves us all forward, absolutely. So take me on to obviously your focus on well-being, because I know that is something that you, you've really zoned in on. And you, you mentioned something that actually people are, are working hard. And in many ways, I suppose, technology is allowing us to almost never not be at work. The pandemic was a, a deeply personal experience for everyone. You would have had a personal experience. I had a personal experience. Anyone listening or watching will have had a personal experience of it. How comes that became your focus, the the health and well-being element? Because we've, we've chatted to a few people over the last couple of years on it, and I know it's important, but tell me what you were seeing which, which drove you towards your work. I mean, it was very much before the pandemic and and, yep. and a lot of the kind of motivation for me was you know armored by that understanding of design thinking was looking at um how can we work better and still improve health yep. um and i zoned in initially in the business case um i was inspired by different things that were out there in terms of the corporate athlete methodology very classic kind of work um by jim law and tony schwartz yeah um and i felt you know what is that business case so that we can go forward, then it's the whole peak performance industry, which sometimes goes a little bit far, but that was the initial kind of context for me. And that, that, that was very useful and very, uh, uh, you know, it allowed me to answer a lot of questions. Um, and, I, and I still have many questions. From peak performance, it moved on to well-being. And then, you know, my my second book in the space, my first being Sustaining Executive Performance, right. how you can keep that going in the long term and not okay. just burn out. Then it was looking at well-being, but making that a little bit more strategic within an enterprise. So this okay. was just before the pandemic. That right. came out 2018. It's rather timely. Yeah. Um, and so still very niche. And and even with the performance focus, I felt that I couldn't use the word well-being. Right. Even with some clients now, you still talk about the same content. Some of these things that we were talking about, humility, you know, psychological safety, yes. brave leadership, all of these different things. I mean, you can label that in different ways. And so with some clients, I talk about well-being, but some clients still don't want to go there. Is it a little woo-woo for some yeah, or, or, they, they or nebulous? They, yeah. They're not quite sure what you mean. Well, I mean, it is hard to measure, absolutely, right? But there's still certain other things that are very much accepted and very strategic. Innovation, still difficult to measure. How do you right. really think about that ROI and some of these things, right? Um but certainly well-being, there is a, mis a belief, misconception, whatever you want to call it, that it's about doing less work, that you're compromising performance. There's nothing to do with that, is right? it? Right, and that's why I took that peak performance kind of angle in the first place, right? Yep. That you actually have a business case for well-being. Um, so getting back to that strategic 
kind of um, leveling up a well-being, then it was that book was called and the platform was Chief Wellbeing Officer, which was just a kind of polemic to say, okay, we'll take this very soft yes. word, but we'll put these two very serious business terms on either end, right? But still very niche. I think what the pandemic did, and coming more directly to your question, was that it, it made us all question what we were doing every day. <laughs> it right? did indeed. So we were on that hamster wheel before the pandemic, and we may be going 100 miles an hour, and we we're very proud of ourselves with the speed that we we're moving at. Yes. But are we doing the right things? Are we doing the things that are in our own best interests? Um, if we look back on our lives 20 years from now, yeah. are we going to be proud of what we we're doing on that hamster wheel? So it forced us all off, and it made us question things. And part of that questioning related to how do we spend our time uh, was about experience of life, well-being, health. Yep. Uh, YOLO, all of these different things, right? Uh, and so it has been very marked, the change in the attitude towards well-being since the pandemic. Uh, and so I've just tried to kind of ride that wave, recognising that everyone is still waiting and seeing, still on Zoom, a lot of this talk from me is behind the camera, yeah. um, thankfully now becoming more face-to-face -face again, and just giving people permission, and I think this is the key, Adam, to find their own patterns uh, and recognizing that hamster wheel before was a pattern, but it's very homogeneous. We were all on that kind of yeah. same treadmill, let's say, but now it's about, okay, what's unique to you? What are your own needs? Design thinking again, your own specific needs, what yes. are your own specific pain points? How do you fulfill those in your daily life? And it's the day-to-day. -day. Uh, in many ways, I suppose, over the years, over the decades, we may have slept walked into certain ways of working i'm intrigued to know the difference in you so you've obviously been on a journey because of the research and the books that you've written you've obviously been on a journey because you had to deal with the pandemic like the rest of us well, what changes do you think have happened in you over the last few years taking into account the work you've done and the experiences that you've had First of all, I say to people i am not the kind of well-being police um so uh, this is my career and I talk about things like sleep and mindfulness and positive habits. And, yep. and all. But I am not kind of this peak performance, you know, get that extra half percent out every day. I enjoy my life, Adam, right? And, and, and I have a Balance. million bad habits. But the key for me is awareness. And so that I'm always aware and I maybe, you know, don't live the optimal life from day to day, but I know, or if work needs to be done, then you just, you grind through. But as long as that isn't the norm. So I'm very aware, when am I doing kind of, what could be conceived as more kind of bad habits, yes. but I'm not just gonna be that kind of well-being police every single day of my life, because I wanna enjoy my life as well. So I have a really acute awareness, and I have a very strong bias towards experimentation. So I'm always trying new things. And I have the excuse within within my work, um, but I'm trying and failing, and I'm not I'm not afraid of failure. Help me understand awareness. How, what do you do that allows you to be more deliberate as regards awareness of self? Because you know this comes up a lot about leaders needing to be much more aware of themselves before we start to think about how they lead others, and and yeah. you know on and on. So tell me how you've you've increased that sense of awareness for you? It's a, it's a great question. I think there's two or three elements and I may employ some of these at different times. Right. First of all, there's the power of uh, writing, 
and, and, and journaling especially, okay. right? That you actually have some sort of connection with all of the thoughts that are going on in your head and getting that down in paper, right? And it's not just... And I always encourage people to write with a pen um, or rather than just... one. Exactly, right, on a tablet or whatever. But you're actually using, you know, the, the kind of... You, you're interpreting the thoughts in your head by the shape, and again, being a designer, by the shapes and the forms that you put, and it right. could be doodles or whatever. It's not just on a keyboard. It's very kind of it's too clean, and you're into that whole virtual world. So I just think writing is very powerful, and it could be sketching or whatever it is, right? And and you have that kind of self dialogue, right? How, how often do you journal or write? I try and do it on a on a daily basis, right? In the evening. Well, you're the author of the Daily Reset, so. Yeah, I- exactly. <laughs> So, you know, I use a lot of these things myself, right? And I think, oh, my God, I never did that. Or That's a great reminder. That's because I wrote that myself six children, months ago. Exactly. Children. exactly. You've got a Spanish term as well. It's like you know, um, the, the cuchillo, the, the wooden knife. Um, anyway, um, so, yes, I have that, that, that bias and, and I try and have that communication. Yep. But sometimes I don't do it, right? And if I'm busy or whatever. Um, but I think... The next element, and that sometimes comes from the journaling, is mindfulness, right? Okay. And I think there's a lot of um, belief that mindfulness is meditation, yep. but it isn't. It's not the same. You know, mindfulness is a state that can be achieved through different things, and meditation is one of those tools that you can use okay. to achieve mindfulness, right? So I just think that if we broaden our con- concept or understanding of what is mindfulness, is mindfulness in your day-to-day. And so I've been able to cultivate what I hope and think, and I'm still improving. And sometimes I'm on autopilot, which is the opposite. Right? Well, you are human as well. Which exactly, which is this hamster wheel and being on autopilot and yep. just executing off the cuff. And you need that. But you catch you need, yourself. You need to build the, the competence. But then you catch yourself. You're right, right, right? You could be catching yourself in the mirror, kind of, you know, yep. in a metaphorical mirror, and you think, okay, what's going on there? You could be triggered, for example, right? You're triggered by another person. You're triggered by an email. You're triggered by a phone call, a red bubble notification. So I'd like to think that I have more power in terms of less triggering, less autopilot, and I'm more mindful in my day-to-day. And that could be in a conversation, being present, or it could be just being with myself. And I use different things for that, and it could be going for a run or whatever, and exercise is important for me. And so the third element, and these are all very much linked, is just have space, right? So I think when you are on autopilot, when you are not mindful, when you're not aware or intentional about your behavior, it's just because you're so busy, man. You know, and, it, you know, we're all stuck in this world of being Almost so busy. submerged in stuff. Absolutely. There's no way that you're getting out. You, you just feel that kind of overwhelm. And so I really do try and cultivate space. And look, the job, the work that I do, I, I have space built in. I, yeah. I don't have a full-time employer I'm expected to be present for a long working day and a long working week. I have a portfolio life and and space is naturally built in there. Master of your own destiny. And that's good and bad, absolutely. Of course. It's, yeah, yeah I but, agree. but I always talk about a quote from Claude Debussy and he said, music is the space between the notes. And in business, we we kill that space. We don't right. make that music. And so what I think we can take from that quote as well is that if we want to be creative, if we want to do work yeah. that has, you know, that is special, then we need that space also. We need that creativity. And if not, we're just executing and it's just copy and paste and it's the same way it's always been done. It reminds me almost as it apparently Bill Gates said that busy is the new stupid. 
And and sometimes we're all very good at being very very busy. Yeah, because we think it's an ego thing again. Coming back to you know, oh, it, in some ways it's a, it's a slightly archaic approach. You know, I, you know I've been working now for for decades, and I think of some industries, you know, you had to be busy in some way, shape, or form. But but busy doing what? So this ability to to stop, to pause, to think, to reflect, to be self aware. In some ways, it feels the pandemic magnified the the importance of that. And there's a wonderful phrase which I've used before on episodes, and, and I think it is really relevant to what you're saying. And, and forgive me, I, I don't remember who said it, but I do love it. Is that when you press the pause button on a computer, it stops. When you press the pause button on a human, that's when we start to think. And actually, the pandemic pressed the big red almighty pause button on everybody. Yeah. And maybe we all thought, why are we on this hamster wheel? So tell me a little bit about the daily reset. What, what's what's that all about? Yeah, Um couple of elements in there. I wanted to really, all the things that I had learned yep. um, in health, well-being, performance, design, thinking as a context, I, I wanted to put that in a format that was very easy to absorb. And I wanted to, you know, my first book in the space, Sustaining Executive Performance, was a bit dense and a bit academic. So I am still on that recovery from being <laughs> so an academic. That's why you're a recovering academic, <laughs> exactly. Stephen. And I'm thinking, you know, how can we um, communicate some of these very important messages uh, in, in an easy-to-absorb fashion, right? Yep. And, and I was inspired by a couple of things, and one of those being The Daily Stoic um, from Ryan Holiday, and right. I felt that was a, a good way of absorbing some kind of meaty, important messages yep. without dumbing it down, but it's still very accessible. And so I thought, you know, and, I, and I'd had a kind of idea in that space for a while, but I thought I could do that for well-being, and I didn't think it existed. And so I wanted to write a book that was also a journal that people could engage with. Okay. So the book, Adam, or journal, or whatever you want to call it, is a, a series of nudges for every day of the year. And every month of the year has a theme. Okay. So January being movement, February habits, March sleep, and we have other things including purpose, community, and leadership, which right. is the month of uh, November. Which um, is my birthday month. Yeah. I have no idea how there that's relevant, go. but there we go. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for you a link. You know what? The, the funny thing is, and I, and, I, and I put this on socials a few weeks ago, when people get the book for the first time, they always go to the birthday month to their birthday, <laughs> but they go to their birthday, and what are they doing? It's as if they're looking for a message for them, right? Yeah. As if there's a meaning there, and you know what? Most whatever, whatever happens, they they often find it because people say, "I went to my birthday, and you wouldn't believe that because that speaks to me because of right." And I don't know, it happens for many people. I'm going to have to have a look and see exactly <laughs> what is... Uh, but it's funny, I had leadership in November. So it was meant to be. Yes. It's a serendipity in some ways. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> tell me what's behind, in, in partly how, but tell me what's behind this nudging aspect in relation to changing behaviour because we've probably all been there where it becomes it's a new year and we've got some New Year's resolutions and by, who knows, the middle of January, yeah. we're kind of, what were those resolutions? Exactly. You know, so... Um, and. And forgive me, there are some people who will be very, very good at this. I'm not. What's behind the nudging? So it, it's, it's understanding that we are often too ambitious. Right. And we approach behaviour change in the wrong way. And, and we often, and, and, and not just in behaviour change, but anything in our lives, we, we, we go for the big challenge, right? We're all competent, skilled people and we, we, we want to do well. And so we give, big, give a big effort to something, a big heavy rock, and we push hard on that yep. for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. And then we leave it there because we're distracted by something else. And we move on to another big heavy rock over here. <laughs> All, and we shiny. Give that, yeah, All shiny. Exactly. <laughs> we, we, we love starting new things. Yeah. You know, there's another thing in Agile that I love. It's um, 
stop starting and start finishing because we That's always so have balls in the air and we get excited by starting a new thing but then when we are halfway through that shiny new object becomes less shiny and then we see something else that is shiny and we start something else so then that leads to overwhelm so often what i say to people is just stop starting new things for a bit and mm. and, and get finishing there's a real pleasure to finishing as, as well right or, or and, have and, some of those people on your team which yeah. is what i always need those yeah. finisher completers um probably not best describes me so it's but again it's having that complementary skill set and yeah. that diversity totally. yeah, of, yeah. of skill set yep. which makes i i assume a high performing team because not everyone can do everything absolutely so that so, kind of resonates so the better way yep. rather than that big push yep. is just these little tiny efforts but you build it in every day and you get that cumulative impact so it's habit so it's the habit right and and habits exist for two main reasons to save us time right and to save us energy you know if it wasn't for habits we wouldn't get very much done in our day most of what we do every day is invisible and sometimes we need to surface that to break it apart and then sometimes we need the automaticity mm. so often what i say to people is raise that awareness build something new but make it small a lot of it is the time that it takes a habit to form and and most of the research points to the fact that the smaller and less complex something is yes that neural development in your brain takes less time so you get over the finish line much sooner and you can forget about it right and it's not being less ambitious because you build on baby steps so i often say to people whatever you want to start meditating you want to start exercise you want to start uh you know being nicer with your team make it a tiny what seems ridiculous change uh, or improvement but once that becomes automatic then you can build on that step by step but essentially it's just believing in the power of daily change so that if you build something new and positive and tiny it's not going to take away from the main thrust of your day right or your energy but if you do it every day my goodness life goes fast before you know it a month has passed a business quarter a year and you have that significant cumulative impact is there something about the deliberateness i made up a word of this you know for instance i've got lots of habits or routines i'll brush my teeth and not really remember tie my shoelaces you know sometimes uh, the the commute or the drive where you know you're you're away somewhere else you don't even recall it but talking about the daily habit is that something that i just need to be a little bit more deliberate about and thoughtful about so i don't start to fall into the automated yeah, it's a game, right? Because you need that automat you need that automaticity as I said, right? Yeah. But you surface. So it's like I often talk about um invisible and and, and visible habits or behavior changes right. like the surface of the water, right? Sometimes you're below the water and it's kind of invisible and it's yeah. automatic. Sometimes you need to surface that. You surface it, you be deliberate to evaluate because in many ways the brain it doesn't distinguish between good and bad habits mostly. Yes. It just becomes automatic. Um so you make it deliberate and you ask yourself is this serving me do I want this for the longer term and what mm. you can often do is place a new thing next to driving brushing your teeth all these things that we already do okay so you can call this different things it's been around for a long time you know James Clear has sold a lot of books in this space calls that habit stacking there's other terms for that but you have that placement or that trigger so that it gives you that reminder you're brushing your teeth and you think oh yeah, I'm going to meditate after this so for 30 seconds. So use one almost the cat the catalyst for the other. Exactly, it gives you that support, right? Um so that deliberateness is there. Uh but then eventually you if that's if you're happy with that and you want that for the longer term, 
let that fade and let that go under the surface of the water. It's all good and it's all part of your new, more positive routine. Think about something else to add on, right? Okay. Share with me some of your thoughts in relation to leadership. So we're heading to November um, because obviously, you know, that, that's very much the, the DNA of, of this show. But what were some of your, your thoughts or your research about habits around leadership? We touched on one earlier about empathy, right? Yep. So I think that whole importance of bringing um, <clears throat> your emotional side as a leader and, yes. and not just being that rational kind of taskmaster. Because right. I think, you know, building psychological safety, building loyalty, um, just having a curiosity in other people as a human being and not just someone to do work. So I think there's that whole motivation, okay. uh, science of human motivation behind there. We had some young leaders in the studio a few weeks ago and they talked about their need, and they're in their mid-20s, early 30s, so young in my book. Um, they talked about their need for personalised leadership yeah, yeah. from their leaders. And, and I think, you know, that's really what we're talking about here totally. as well. Yeah, to, to I think them. leaders as human beings. You know, I I interviewed um, Jose Maria Alvarez Payete a few years ago. You said that far better than yeah, I could ever say. Yeah, the CEO of Telefonica, and he said he said Stephen, it's not like I just go to work with my head and not my heart, right. or if I'm just at home with only my heart and not my head, I'm the same person, head and heart in both places. So there's the authenticity piece, right? And I always remember that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Say his name again. Jose Maria Alvarez Payete. That is rather wonderfully. I can only assume you speak Spanish or with that or, or, uh, excellent pronunciation. Um, but so, what are the, some of the other things that really came up in relation to the leadership space? Right. What else is in there? I think a lot of that agile leadership piece. Yep. You know, stop, starting, uh, start finishing, mm. and uh, and other things about how you get work done. Right. Um, and I think another one is about <clears throat> stop telling people what to do. Give them a problem to solve, which is all about that empowerment piece giving them the trust and the flexibility to solve that problem yes. in the way that they best see fit. Well, they're probably closer to the problem than the leader is anyway. Exactly. It comes back to that intellectual humility piece that we talked about earlier, right? Yeah. I think the ego of the leader is to say, well, I have an understanding of this subject and I think I, I, what I believe is the way forward should be the way forward, but often it's not, right? As you right. say, they're closer to the problem. So I think that's an important piece. And also uh, humility and leadership in general, recognising that leaders are not just the extroverts, uh, but they can be the introverts also. Yeah. Some of the research points to that fact that introverted leaders are more self-aware, back to this awareness piece, and they drive higher performance and more safety. And, and as a leader, you know, you're not the expert necessarily anymore. Uh, you are an orchestrator, you're a facilitator. So I think a lot of, in general, my work and well-being as I come back to what I mentioned earlier about finding our own pattern of navigating the workspace... Yeah. I think a lot of leadership is, as a leader, as a facilitator and orchestrator, how do you help surface or enrich that pattern in, in the people that you lead? Okay. Right? And that can be very powerful. And I can't decouple leadership and culture. I, I very much of the view that they, they go hand in glove. So what were some of your thoughts as well in relation to you know, supportive cultures or the, or the cultures that people really want? going forward i think you know we're moving into an era now where there are going to be five demographics working in a single organization for the first time ever yeah. so that's an incredible spread of ages and yeah what are your thoughts on on, on that aspect of of culture i, I quite agree with you in, in terms of how i conceive leadership and culture and for me and coming back to a previous point that many clients often don't want to talk about well-being yeah what i then say to them is like how do we achieve positive culture 
and how do we right. how do we develop positive leadership right that whole organ that whole science on on positive organizations and so for me that positive culture is built step by step right on discrete individual behaviors um and so the, the aggregate of those behaviors give us that culture and i often say to people forget about the organization for now just think about your team however many yeah. people are in that team you know how do they behave how do they yeah. talk to each other right you know even coming back to an old Peter Drucker quote that I love, good manners are the lubricating oil of an organisation. Mm. And I think that's so important, even in today's world when we're so busy, mm. do we still have those that basic civility with the people that we're spending a lot of time with each day? So I think those aggregate behaviours give us that culture and leaders are probably the most important element in promoting those positive behaviours. Role modelling. Role modelling yeah. that on one, uh, on one hand. Um, because I think, you know, these young leaders or, you know, the, the younger demographics, it, it doesn't really matter what the policy says. They just copy other people. Yeah. I think, and I never quite found the citation, but when I was with a client a few years ago, the general manager, he said a, a really cool quote, and I hope it is backed up by science. He said, if you're the most senior person in the room, people look at you six times more. And I think leaders probably know that they're always being observed and, and watched, but maybe not to that extent, right? Yes. So I think the younger demographics, they're always looking at this most senior person. You know, what, what are they? You're always being watched. They, 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 they're always, always being watched. Always. They, you know, they want the validation maybe from the more senior person, but they're always watching. It's what they're doing, what are they saying? And then they copy them, right? Limbic synchrony, I think they call it, don't they? Right? That mirroring aspect. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that, that's that social nature of who we are as human beings. And I think so because of that, how leaders behave, the behaviours that they reward yes. in their teams, uh, what they do to try and, because toxic behaviour is going to come up, obviously, you know, how do they deal with that? So I think that whole piece on positive leadership, positive culture, and the role of behaviour within that, that's how I like to think about it. How does, you know, people who are listening or watching this in a variety of leadership roles, how do they know that they've got a positive culture? What will some be some of the consequences or or what evidence will they hear or see where they, they know at least they're on the right track? Yeah. I think people want to go to work on a, okay. on a, on a Monday morning. So it's basically you know, that really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and you know, we think about KPIs and what can you measure. I mean, can you, can you measure people, people's positive emotions? Do you pe see people smiling, right? In, in spite of being busy, in spite of being challenged, and even flow theory, right, from Chiksen Ohio, is like we need to be stretched. Yeah. We need to sweat in order to feel that to kind grow. of optimum human experience and to grow, right? So it's not as if we're just having a jolly every day at work. We, we need the stretch to feel best. Yes. Uh, but you can still enjoy that stretch. Um, so I think, you know, look around. Do you? F and I think you feel energy as well. You know, I was in this room yesterday with 150 um, doing this keynote, as I said, and, and you feel the energy and you don't get that um Online. You thrive off the energy. Yeah, don't you, you? you feed off it, right? It's, energy is contagious, uh, yeah. and this is one of the nudges in the book. And it's a story that I have with my dog. And um, when I first became a dog owner, and a friend of mine called Teddy, yes, uh, a fr old English sheepdog, Dulux dog, um, called Teddy. Um, is that showing our age? If we say Dulux, are they still using? I think so. I think you still get those okay. adverts. Yeah, yeah. You get them in the UK, and you also get them in Australia. 
Right, okay. So Australians know the Dulux dog okay, thing as we well. We talk about loads of things on this but show. Everyone else, thing. No, I've just dated don't. myself again yeah, by yeah. Uh, There you go. Look, uh, James has <laughs> just pulled up on the screen the Brilliant. Dulux dog. Yeah. And it's iconic, actually, isn't it? Yeah, uh, that dog is iconic yeah. with, with Dulux. So anyway, there you go. Well done to them for that, that marketing. <laughs> <laughs> so my friend would come up and he would start jumping up and down yep. in this really frenzied state. And because he did that, my dog would do the same because dogs copy the energy, energy is contagious. Yeah. And then what he would say is, he'd say, wow, Stephen, your dog is crazy. I thought, well, yeah, you're, you're causing that craziness. And then after that, I became much more aware. It was the first time I became a dog owner. And, um, and I realized that I was only aware, again, coming back to this awareness, yeah. that I was anxious because she was reflecting that. And she picked up on that. And I think there's some fascinating research on even dogs being able to s smell chronic disease yeah, and no, cancer and all these things. So they're so perceptive. And I think that whole aspect of energy being contagious. And I say to people, when was the last time you had good news to share with someone? Yes. When you tell them, how do they react? Are they happy for you? Are they enthused also? So if you go into the workplace and you're apathetic and you're miserable and you're tired, that's going to have a, an effect on other people. So I think picking up on culture, it often is. Do you feel that energy? Do you see signals of it? Yeah. Are people happy to go to work? Now, I say to everybody, whether they're listening, watching, or you know, whoever I meet, wherever I meet them, we're all work in progress. You know, whether we've got the most experienced CEO in the room or, or the most uh, amazing world number one or whatever discipline, all work in progress. You know, all these people have got coaches and mentors, or one hopes. So how can people get hold of the book? Amazon. It's always going to be that. I, yeah, well, I don't know why I'm I sorry. asked the question. I'd love to say kind of independent bookstores and whatever, Barnes and Noble. Those, I mean, those days are gone, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, I'm sorry. But, you know, it's on some of these things like Apple Books and Google Books and other, but mostly Amazon. Have you seen yeah. a hard copy on a shelf? Uh, have I? No, I haven't. No. It just doesn't really around. happen, yeah. does it? Yeah. I, I remember when we wrote our book in 2020, it was on Amazon and, you know, and it's it's lovely reviews and things like that yeah. i've never seen it yeah. just want to i might have to just take a book one day and stuff it on yeah. a shelf yeah, yeah. somewhere to to placate me um how do people also get in touch with you if they want to know more carry on the conversation or get you involved in their conversations how yeah do they do yeah that? That, I'm, you know i'm pretty active in social media adam so you know all the usual platforms linkedin uh twitter mostly linkedin but also twitter bit of instagram here and there and yeah and things like under that. Under your name? Under my name. So, and sometimes if not just my name, then then Dr. Stephen McGregor and, and they'll find me. So I think if anyone wants to find me, I'm sure they can. Okay. So my final question to you is, with all of the research as a recovering academic that you've done <laughs> and, and the, uh, yeah, the conversation we've just had, what's the best piece of leadership advice that comes to mind for you that you've ever given or received? I mean, that, that head and heart quote is, is really powerful for me from Jose Maria. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're toying with me now because you just simply know I can't, I can't uh, say it as wonderfully yeah, but, as that. But, you know, I think, you know, I, I, and I don't know if it was a formal piece of advice I received or, yeah. or even given, but I just think that that bias towards experimentation and not being afraid of failure, because I think if we're always, and, I, and it comes to so many things, it comes to ego, uh, it comes to you know being brave and and and, and the importance of humility. Yeah. But if we're always just doing the same things because we're afraid of failure, you don't move forward. Right. Um, I I used a, a a video that came out of the pandemic. It was from Dr. Michael Ryan, an epidemiologist at World Health Organization. He was talking in the first few weeks of the pandemic, 
and it was when all of the governments around the world were kind of fudging decisions and they weren't sure what to do. And he made this impassioned plea and he said, look, do not delay. Yeah. He said, you know, speed is of the utmost importance. And I'm not saying it's always just about speed and, 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 and leadership, but what he said is perfection is the enemy of the good. And he said, you know, and it was all about having this bias towards action. And I think for leadership, you know, especially maybe new leaders are recognizing the context is, is, is changing. Leader, leaders could overthink things because they're, it's pretty meaty problems out and there, And they're trying right? to get it right. Yeah, and, and, and they want to get, the pressure is on. Yeah. But I think maybe that 80-20 rule, good engineering rule should come in and it's just leaders actually being brave, getting that 80% answer and navigating on the fly, which yeah. again is a very design kind of thinking yeah, approach yeah. and just optimizing as they go. So having that bias towards trying new things, towards experimentation, not being afraid of failure, even though the whole failure piece a little bit cheesy and over overdone, perhaps. But I think I, I would go in that area, Adam, to it, finish. It reminds, it's almost akin to the agile, isn't it, of, of ha having sprints. Yeah. Where you, <clears throat> you do something for four to six weeks and just see how you go. And it might be you really haven't done very well. Yeah. Or it might be that actually that is the direction of travel well, and, and you pivot and away you yeah, go again. Totally, yeah. But yeah. it's always easier said than done. <laughs> Listen, Stephen, thanks so much for you know, taking the time. Uh, I know you're in London uh, doing lots of weird and wonderful things, which is great. This is being this is the weird one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I really, really appreciate it. It's good to see you. Good to meet you. Good to chat to you. Thanks so much. Likewise. Loved it. Thank you, Adam. Cheers. Cheers. Join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or visit the dedicated website, www.leadersenigma.com, powered by Transform Performance International, where you can access our exclusive learning, including books, videos, bonus content, assessments, and more. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.